welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now quickly today, before I launch in, I just want to mention that my eating disorders training and body image training for professionals is online. And at midnight tonight, my early bird offer expires where you get 20% off the full price of 99 pounds with the code love to learn So if you are a therapist, a nutritionist, a dietitian, a personal trainer, and you are new to working with clients with eating disorders and body image issues, and you really want to kind of up-level your skills, gain confidence, learn lots of strategies to work with this client group, this course is ideal for you. So link is in the show notes, 20% off until midnight tonight. Okay, so this is an episode which is continuing along with my mindset psychology series. And I wanted to do an episode specifically around eating disorders and control. Thought this is really quite a helpful one because I think for many, many people, underneath an eating disorder is a sense of feeling unsafe, out of control, overwhelmed in some way, and the eating disorder provides this kind of life raft of safety. So I really want to do a deep dive into this, look at why we might be using an eating disorder in this way and then to start to explore ways that we can let go and start to surrender and find healthier ways of coping. Now, if you're interested in the mindset psychology side of eating disorders, I have some previous episodes up all on these topics. Um, One about understanding the past, diet culture and motivation, one on exploring thoughts, one on feelings, one on self-esteem. So these have all been released over the last few weeks. So if you want to do a deep dive into the psychology of eating disorders, please go back and have a listen. Okay, so let's talk about control and eating disorders. So I don't think anyone sets out to use food as a coping strategy or controlling your body as a coping strategy for life. It's usually an unconscious decision. It becomes this life raft to cling to, this thing that becomes safe when life has thrown us like turbulence, uncertainty, things that we have felt overwhelmed with and perhaps didn't feel that we could deal with helpfully. Now, it might not just be food as well that you have been controlling in uncertain times. So if you look back at your history, you know, as a child, if you felt unsafe, you might have had little routines or you might have picked your nails or pulled your hair or had to have things in a certain place or had some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies, maybe having to do lots of checking. All these little kind of routines are things that human beings do to help ourselves feel safe and gain a sense of control when life is out of control. And this isn't like a conscious, logical process. It's something that we often just find ourselves doing, you know, when life is unpredictable and scary and out of control. Now, as a child, if you didn't feel emotionally safe, you might have adopted some of these coping strategies in an attempt to establish feelings of control and safety for yourself. So if life was a bit chaotic or unpredictable or there's lots of things going on, actually by doing these little rituals or by turning to food or by having everything lined up perfectly or counting things, you would have been creating a sense of safety and control for yourself in the way that you would have only sort of known possible. 
So I think we can get a lot of comfort and safety from these little rituals or sort of, you know, turning to food, whatever it might be. Now, when you think back to your childhood, you may have felt unsafe in more obvious ways. For example, if you experienced, I guess what we call more the big T trauma nowadays, things like abuse or neglect, then it may be more obvious as to why you didn't feel safe as a child. But I think often what's very common that I find in therapy is that actually many of my clients have not had a big, obvious, catastrophic event, but rather it's been the drip, drip impact of perhaps not always getting emotional needs met. And this can be for a variety of reasons. Because I think, as I said many times on this podcast, parents are generally doing the best they can at the time with the resources they have. Um, but say, for example, if your parents were working all hours because they you know, they were trying to keep everything afloat to support the family, you may have been left to get on with things and have to be sort of more of like an adult child, having to be perhaps be responsible and not really be able to kind of lean on your parents in the same way that you know you would if you were getting your emotional needs fully met. Or you may have had a sibling who was struggling and your parents may have needed to give that sibling a lot of attention because, you know, they were going through some difficult times. And then you may have had to become the good kind of non-difficult child to keep that peace, you know, not wanting to cause your parents any distress. Or maybe your family experienced a significant loss or losses which really impacted your parents. You know, maybe they were really emotionally struggling so they couldn't be present for you. And as a child, you might have recognized, you know, I can see my carers are really, really struggling. I don't want to add any more kind of burden to them. So then you become like the good, pleasing child, but this often means as well that your emotional needs kind of get a bit buried. So as I've said before, people are doing the best they can you know, with their level of awareness and consciousness. And past generations had little or no support with their mental health. So they're going to really struggle to understand about emotional support because they probably didn't receive it themselves. So feeling unsafe or overwhelmed or out of control can lead to coping behaviors. And this is like a desperate attempt to try and feel safe and it's often unconscious. So it's helpful to view these controlling behaviors, including eating disorder behaviors through this lens of coping as an attempt to survive and be okay. You know, they're not about selfish vanity or something else. We need to really be compassionate with understanding how an eating disorder can help, help us cope or help someone close to us cope because it opens the door to compassion and understanding about eating disorders. So initially an eating disorder might offer respite and safety, and that could be through distraction by controlling food portions, or it could be numbing the pain, you know, with the comfort of turning to food to kind of soothe. It could be just a great way to distract from other things that are going on. Because if you're really focused on the number on the scales or how much you're eating, or you're being preoccupied by what you're going to eat or not eat at your next meal, it's a kind of great distraction from what could be going on underneath. Now you might think that the control aspect of eating disorders is only relevant for restrictive eating, but I think many of my clients that struggle with overeating, emotional eating, or binge eating, and other associated compensatory strategies will also describe feeling a sense of control through these behaviors. I've heard people say things like, it's the one thing that is mine and mine alone. No one else can interfere with this. And it's so true, isn't it? Because I think our relationship with food is one of the very few things in our life 
that actually is very personal and ours and very, not many other people can have any control over it even if they try to. So although the feeling of being in control around food or body image can make you feel better, as we know, quickly the coping brings further problems and further anguish because once you start being preoccupied with food or your weight, you get in this kind of horrible vortex really of food preoccupation, weight preoccupation, you don't feel good enough, the goalposts are always moving. Um, so you actually start to feel more out of control and then you try and tighten the controls through higher restriction, etc., and you get yourself in a really, really difficult situation. But when life throws you a curveball and uncertainty looms its ugly head with full force, you can understandably be drawn to controlling something that is truly yours to control. Or another thing as well is perhaps you've experienced an over-controlling person in your life who tells you what to do and doesn't listen to your voice. Now, I know for myself, my eating disorder was definitely a response to out-of-controlness, if that's a word, in life. So it coincided with my relationship breakdown with my first boyfriend, who at the time I was madly in love with, my looming A-levels, uncertainty of what would happen after A-levels and you know wanting to go to university, my dad having very clear ideas about what I should be doing after A-levels, a lot of conflict between what my dad wanted, what I wanted. I didn't feel able to have a voice, you know, I really wanted to please my dad and have that safety of his approval, but I also had my own thoughts and felt in deep conflict. So with all of that going on, I felt wildly out of control. So a relationship with food and your body is deeply personal and private. No one can actually make you eat or know exactly the nuances and secret rituals you may have around food. Planning and meticulously preparing, scanning menus, reading food labels, writing down the calories in your notebook with goals and dates, deciding special binge foods to devour away from everyone. These provide the fabric and structure of your day. And this is a private and secluded world where others cannot really influence or dictate. So although it can be very, very distressing being controlled by all those things, it can feel very safe and predictable. We like the familiar as humans, you know, and if you have felt out of control and overwhelmed, this eating disorder can become your safe and predictable space which cannot be invaded. So you feel in control at least to begin with. So as I've said really, when you're getting laser focused with body preoccupation, body goals, life can be simplified. Steps walked, foods eaten or not, and weights achieved, these become the variables to determine whether the day has gone well or not. So things like relationship problems, work stress, and life dramas blend into the background and feel distant. You're in a protective bubble, which is stifling and restrictive, but also safe and known. And emotions may heighten around food, but otherwise you care much less about the problems that bothered you before. They are on hold, and this brings a sense of relief. And I've said, you know, this is often quite unconscious. And it might happen in response to something that's quite traumatic, like a bereavement or bullying or overwhelming stress. And I know after the pandemic, the financial ongoing crisis, busy lives, mental health challenges, life has been very out of control and chaotic for many of us in the last few years. And it's no surprise that eating disorder diagnoses and struggles with mental health have increased substantially because of all of this. People have been surviving and not thriving, Food and body image preoccupation has been a safety raft to cling to along with other coping mechanisms. 
and the numbing and avoidance of feelings does shield and offers emotional respite. But you're effectively, if you're doing this, you're cutting off from your feelings as you could be with alcohol, drugs, gambling or working too much. And what happens as well is when we distract or numb from the deeper feelings, they don't go away, but they accumulate under the carpet, occasionally flooding out in a tidal wave of emotion that can feel a bit unbearable. And then this can reinforce your belief that emotions are intolerable and best avoided, when in fact, the emotions themselves are not the problem. It's the fact that your relationship with your emotions is not particularly healthy. You know, you're cutting off from them. And then of course, they're kind of bubbling up and coming out in kind of uncontrollable waves, which feels really, really difficult. Now, the thing as well about numbing your emotions, excuse me, you numb the good bits too. You don't feel joy, happiness, excitement, contentment in the same way. You feel numb and separate from life. And clients will often look back on the time where they suffered with an eating disorder and realize they can't remember much about this time at all because they just weren't really connected with themselves and with life. So what starts out with order and control can quickly spiral into a monster that devours you. As control tightens, the healthy part of you screams for freedom and will rebel against the repression and self of self-imposed control. And again, you are left then with the bottom line of not feeling good enough because the level of control you desire is almost impossible to achieve and sustain. And you might romanticize the days when you have managed to follow your controlling rules and push yourself to high expectations to do this again. But it is really an impossible task as the rules have taken on a new force, a new rigidity, and you're left feeling a failure and increasingly out of control. So often as well, we can have a bit of resistance to letting go of control because as human beings, as I'm saying, we like the familiar, we like safety. We are wired as human beings for survival. So we don't like change. We like things to be predictable. And I guess the world sometimes is not predictable. The world is a bit scary. So, and I guess letting go of control as well, it can be about letting go of eating disorder behaviors, but it can also be about maybe getting out of a controlling relationship. You know, that could be another situation that feels very safe and familiar, but we stay there because it's better the devil you know almost than the fear of what the unknown might hold. Now, I know for me, I was scared to let go of my eating disorder because it felt safe. Also, I was scared to step away from the strict boundaries and rules that my dad put in place because although I didn't really agree with him, actually having those rules and that over control had become my familiar and it was safe to know where the boundaries were and it was also safe for me to be in the rebellious role, like having something to push back against. So an eating disorder can also feel like this too, quite toxic, kind of keeping you in that box of control, but also safe and familiar. So we know where the boundaries are. So it can feel like stepping outside the box of a controlling relationship, stepping outside the box of an eating disorder. It puts us in the unknown and unfamiliar, and that can bring up a lot of fear. So it keeps us stuck. Now for me, although I went off to university and I followed my own path, so I sort of did my own thing, I went against what my dad wanted, I interestingly was very drawn to over-controlling people in my life. You know, because I hadn't really healed from what was going on with my dad and the root of the eating disorder. So I would attract close friends who were demanding and bossy and who wouldn't listen to me. I would attract boyfriends who were domineering and overbearing. 
And it was because I was drawn to the familiar and I hadn't really healed. I still had the eating disorder and I was still in these kind of unhealthy control, over control dynamics with others. So, so interesting how it's all interlinked. And, you know, I had issues with control in my relationships with myself as well. I could be quite controlling too, although if you'd said that to me back in the day, I would have strongly protested against that and very much felt as the victim in those relationships. But I could be quite controlling in not so much of a kind of shouty, obvious, bullying way, but in a more kind of passive, manipulative, stroppy way. And it was still a way of exerting control and, you know, sort of trying to kind of be in the driving seat of my life, but in quite an unhealthy way. So it took me a while to heal from all of this. And I even joined an over-controlling cult-like group at the age of 23 for around six months. Because again, that over-control, I hated it, but I also liked it. That over-control felt safe and familiar and known. I my familiar dynamic was being in a situation where someone outside was telling me very clearly what to do and then then I could rebel against it rather than actually me sort of stepping outside of the box of a controlling cult, stepping outside the box of a controlling relationship, stepping outside the box of a controlling eating disorder and truly stepping into my own power and finding my voice because that felt really, really unsafe. So if you're listening to this, I'm sure you may relate to some of this because it can feel very, very scary to step out of that box, to step into our own power and to step into the unknown. So how can we begin to let go of control, to allow things to happen instead of having to make them happen? How can we lean more into that self-trust And it can often be such a scary and unknown thing when you have been within the safety of your eating disorder. So how can we approach this? So number one, we often try to control things because of what we think will happen if we don't. So in other words, control is rooted in fear. We catastrophize, we fortune tell, we predict the future with great angst. So say for example, if I'm trying to be over-controlling with my children, maybe if I'm getting really over-involved with them and persuading them to do their homework, trying to really hold them accountable, trying to kind of be very sort of pushy mother with them, actually, that's often not very, very helpful. If I do that, it might create a lot of resistance. They might become very rebellious or they may people please to my face and in secret just be not revising or doing whatever at all when in fact, if I can let go of control, I can be gently and supportive in the background, but I can actually begin to trust them that they can make wise decisions themselves and they can learn from their mistakes as well. And then actually it puts them in a place where they start to develop that self-trust, where they begin to step into their own power and they begin to get confidence in being able to do this as well. Another example could be if I'm eating a biscuit or two or three or four or five or six, I might predict a whole array of body changes. I might go to the mirror and see the evidence. You know, I might be really trying to control this. And of course, I'll inevitably find the evidence if I'm looking for it. I'll feel bad and I'll probably punish myself. So there's so much fear, so much lack of trust there. But is it even true? Because I think so often our fears are unfounded. 
What if a biscuit or two or three makes no difference at all and your fear is blocking the change? What if you eat a biscuit freely and enjoy it and you move to a place of allowing? What if you experiment and try and find the biscuit you really enjoy, the one that brings you pleasure? What if you can trust yourself to experiment? Because many of your fears are what ifs, they're unrealistic, they're catastrophic and they're basically just not true. So be careful of the stories you're telling yourself around your rules and control. And I think as well, when we allow ourselves to let go of control and when we live through these little experiments and we realize nothing bad happened, I'm still here, I've survived, that builds the self-trust muscle. But we can only build the self-trust muscle by doing that different action. We can't just convince ourselves in our head. We need to actually do the active thing. And what about in relationships? So allowing yourself to feel your feelings from your childhood in a safe place can help you begin to release them. Because over control is often an avoidance of feeling, deep shame, guilt, anxiety, fear, other feelings that we felt as a child. Now as a child, if we're in a situation where we don't get our needs met, we feel responsible, we feel there's something wrong with me. We don't understand that our parents are probably doing the best they can, but they're flawed. You know, they maybe have very of their own little, own emotional awareness. Maybe they're struggling, maybe they're busy, maybe they've got so much going on. So as a child, we feel responsible. But actually what's really important is that we allow ourselves to connect with those feelings that have been buried from childhood so we can release them as adults instead of trying to over control and avoid these feelings by doing all our checking behaviors, controlling food, etc., etc. Okay, number two, control is often a result of being attached to a specific outcome, an outcome we are sure is best for us as we always think that we know what's best. And this is kind of our ego overriding everything. You know, we think that we need to micromanage life and that we know what's best. And actually, if you think about life, so often things work out quite miraculously or in unexpected ways when we haven't been trying to control things. Now, the story of the Chinese farmer is an excellent kind of example of really understanding this. So I think I've used this on the podcast before, but I'm going to read it again because I think it's such a great story. So once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. That evening, all of his neighbors came around to commiserate. They said, we're so sorry to hear your horses run away. This is most unfortunate. And the farmer said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back, bringing seven wild horses with it. And in the evening, everybody came back and said, oh, isn't that lucky? What a great turn of events. You now have eight horses. And the farmer again said, maybe. The following day, his son tried to break one of the horses and while riding it, he was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbors then said, oh dear, that's too bad. And the farmer responded, maybe. The next day, the conscription officers came around to conscript people into the army and they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. Again, all the neighbors came around and said, isn't that great? And again, the farmer said, maybe. So the whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity and it's really impossible to tell whether anything that happens is actually good or bad because you will never know what will be the consequence of the misfortune or you will never know what the consequences will be of the good fortune either. 
I think that's a great story because we often assume so much that we have to massively over control and actually we don't. When we can kind of let go, we don't always really know what is good or bad. We can actually, you know, release that, allow the kind of universe to let things unfold. So often if we label our experiences bad, if we hate it and good if we like it, but the bad cannot exist without the good and vice versa. Whatever happens in our life, we'll never know the consequences it may bring in the future. And I guess an example I'm thinking about for my own life is if you'd said to me in my 20s about things that I'd experienced growing up actually are being benefit to me and helping me in the longer term with my life journey, I would have just been so angry and furious and defensive and felt very much in victim mentality. Now, nowadays, when I look back at some of those things that happened, I would not want to relive some of those things but I am immensely grateful that I got to experience certain things quite young in life because it enabled me to build a lot of emotional resilience, self-awareness and understanding and do a lot of work on myself early on in life, which has now enabled me to be able to support others, help others and you know even create this podcast today. So we never really know what is good or bad in life. Um, it's great to be able to begin to let go. Because again, how do you know that change in your body is going to be terrible? How do you know that being more nourished and letting go of disordered eating behaviours is going to make you feel worse? You might feel infinitely better. You could manage the changes in your body, if they happen, with far greater ease and flow than you realise. You just need to give yourself the chance. You are imagining the ferocious bear lingering in the shadows and devouring you in one bite. Because that's how we are wired as humans, we expect the worst imagining that your dissatisfaction levels will rise to a crescendo rather than imagining a body that is energized and powerful and strong. So actually you don't really know the outcome unless you try. You probably thought that a smaller body was the answer to all your problems and now you probably know this wasn't true. Trying to control your body and to achieve this outcome hasn't been the recipe for success and joyful living. So letting go of the control and leaning into what works for your body could bring you much more into an aligned place. Now I know for me, when I was thinner, I felt insignificant, cold, distracted, yawning all the time, weak, focused on food. And when I was weight restored, the mental benefits were truly immense, truly immense. Having energy, having my sense of humor back, having purpose, having connection with others, it blew the old coping out of the water. And I guess what's really important to say here it's not that kind of one thing was just absolutely awful and the other was completely rainbows and perfection. That is not true. Each side of the coin has its own challenges. But I think what the point I'm trying to make here is that we often assume the worst when actually maybe things on the other side could be a whole lot better, even though they feel a bit unsafe and unfamiliar. So number three, the energy of surrender accomplishes much more than the energy of control. Now, I think it's slightly different for everyone, really, when they're trying to control things to the nth degree. I know for me, though, when I was trying to control my eating in that very precise way and I was underweight, I felt that everything in my life became smaller I was really detached from everything. It took a lot of energy to focus and live by those rules. It felt like a very diminished existence. So in surrender mode, in contrast, where I'm not controlling, 
I can feel more calm and peaceful and go with the flow. I can be much more present and actually, yeah, just that much deeper feeling of contentment and peace compared to when I'm in over control. So the great irony is that attempting control to control things actually feels less in control. When you are micromanaging and obsessing over details, it's not very helpful. You're in your own way. So how do we surrender? So surrender literally means trying to stop fighting. Stop fighting with yourself. Stop fighting with the universe and the natural flow of things. Stop resisting and pushing against reality. So surrender is complete acceptance of what is. Faith that all is well, even without your input. It's not about inaction. It's about taking action from that place of surrender energy. So if letting go of control and surrendering not only feel better, but actually produce better results, then how do we do it? So sometimes it's as easy as noticing that you're in control mode and choosing to let go, consciously and deliberately shifting into surrender energy. For example, when I'm in over control mode, I might think that I'm imagining, I might even imagine myself being in a small boat paddling upstream against the current. It's hard, it's a fight. That's what control mode can feel like. Whereas when I'm choosing to surrender, I can visualize the boat turning around and dropping the oars and just floating downstream. I'm gently being pulled, no effort necessary on my part, simply breathing and saying, let go of the oars. That can just help me to get there. So surrender as well can happen around your relationship with food. It can happen around your relationship with yourself and your over control and routines. It can happen in your relationship with others and you might be controlled or be the controlling one yourself. Now, one episode that Mel Robbins put out um, in recent times is talking about the let them theory. So I would really advise you to, um, if you like Mel Robbins and you want to hear about letting go of control in relationships, that is a fantastic episode to go and look up. So if you put the let them theory into um, Google, Mel Robbins, that will come up. But that's all about as well, not being over controlling in our relationships, being able to kind of stand back and let the other person do their thing and becoming much more detached and in your own peaceful place. Now, how do you view the world? Do you see it as a friendly universe or an unfriendly one? And Einstein said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. So I know myself, I definitely believe in a friendly universe. You know, I generally do trust people. I believe that things are gonna work out for me. I believe that on the whole, good things happen. And then that leaves my nervous system being in a much more peaceful place. Being receptive and allowing things to happen is a skill that can be practiced and improved upon. It really helps when we can believe in a more friendly and peaceful universe, one that's supporting us at every turn, so we don't have to worry over all the nitty gritty and the details. And we can also choose to do things the easy or the hard way. We can like muscle through, and I think sometimes people do this in recovery, you know, kind of like just almost like, um, just gripping on for sheer life as though you're on a roller coaster going through emotional highs and lows, kind of um, muscling it through recovery rather than being able to kind of let go and go with the flow. Or we can let the oars go and we can let the current carry us downstream. There is a peaceful yet focused energy that accompanies holding the intention of what we want but not forcing yourself to do it. And this energy is magic. So 
we're all still a work in progress with this, but allowing it to become a habit instead of making it a habit can be a profoundly helpful approach. So I feel I've been a bit all over the shop with this podcast talking about control, what it is, how we use it when we're in an eating disorder, how it can help us as a coping strategy, how it's really understandable that we can use it as a coping strategy, but then also starting to realize how it can be really unhelpful for us and how we can begin to let go, to surrender, to be in a much more peaceful place. So if you're struggling with an eating disorder, if you're struggling with over control, I hope you found this episode helpful. And yeah, I will probably continue to produce a few more mindset episodes because these are proving to be really popular and I have had lots of good feedback back. And as a therapist, I really am passionate about mindset psychology in recovery. So I'm very happy to keep producing these episodes. Now, if there is a topic that I haven't covered on the podcast and something that you would be really interested in hearing about, or even something that I have covered before, but um, you know, you just want more of it, please just send me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email to harriet.frew at gmail.com because I would be very interested to hear more of what you would like to hear about and to be responsive to that. Okay, so if you're not following me already on Instagram, do seek me out at the eating disorder therapist underscore. For further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate, and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. And if you want to buy my eating disorders or body image courses for professionals, they are on discount price until midnight tonight, 20% off with the code love to learn Link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.